this past week, you probably saw the news cycles dominated by the Volume Gate situation. And I don't want to get into too many details on that, but it's clear that our nation is in a pivotal place for reframing its approach to U.S.-China relations. One of the ways that I see this manifested in policy is with the influx of TikTok bans that have been occurring around the states. The discourse around TikTok is particularly prevalent among members on the right, but many members of Congress from both sides of the aisle have been hopping on board as well. We are going to be talking about U.S.-China policy, foreign affairs, and national security a lot on this podcast, so I wanted to start off with a topic that is basic, prevalent, and would probably impact the lives of the listeners of this podcast the most. Our guest today is Michael McLaughlin. Michael is a cybersecurity attorney and policy advisor. Before his time in law, he served as an intelligence officer in the United States Navy for 12 years. And while assigned to the United States Cyber Command, he also served as a senior counterintelligence advisor to the commander. In his role, Michael advised senior government officials on the integration and expansion of the Department of Defense cyberspace capabilities. Michael is also the author of a new book called Battlefield Cyber, How China and Russia Are Undermining Their Democracy and National Security. The link to pre-order this book is in the description below. I will say a quick note on this episode that this episode specifically discusses what's wrong with TikTok or why U.S. politicians are interested in banning it, um, all mostly from a national security perspective. It's fairly clear in this episode where my guest and I may fall on this issue, but I wanted to note that we will be having a lot more content around this topic and U.S.-China relations that discuss issues like censorship, social media equity, diplomacy, you name it all from multiple perspectives and speakers, so please rest assured that this is not the start and end of a conversation. I don't think any policy matter, particularly in foreign affairs, should be handled like that, Um, but I think that this episode is an excellent start with a guest who's incredibly knowledgeable on the topic for what's wrong with TikTok and understanding a little bit on the national debate and discourse. With that being said, uh, here's our crash course on what's wrong with TikTok with Michael McLaughlin. Hello, Michael. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Alexa. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So um, we're just going to hop right in. But first, I kind of want to give a little precursor for our conversation. Um, One of the reasons why I was really interested in having you on the podcast to discuss this issue was because you were actually the person that changed my mind on this. Um, It sounds so silly, but I remember my first experiences with hearing about TikTok policy and what was kind of going on just rumors and whispers in like the House and Senate. And my first perception of this whole thing was that um, members of Congress were going after TikTok for um, like teen scrolling. They didn't want teen scrolling. And then I came across a LinkedIn post that you wrote on TikTok um, where you really broke down uh, the issue and it was just so much bigger than I could have imagined. So Uh, I'm really excited to have you on to maybe continue to share that wisdom um, for the rest of us and to explain this issue because I think a lot of young people are really confused right now for what really is the problem. So today we are talking about what's wrong with TikTok, but let's just start with you. Why don't you tell us about yourself and give us a brief introduction of who you are and why you're speaking on this issue? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again for having me on the show. I really do appreciate it. Um, So I, by background, I've spent my entire career tackling hard national security problems. Um, I formerly was an intelligence officer with the Navy, where I spent about 12 and a half years in active duty. And I served in multiple postings worldwide, including tours of duty in the Far East, in Europe, and across the Middle East. And in each location, I had a front row seat to the rise of China as a military and economic powerhouse. Based on my experience and what I was able to see, I can say unequivocally that China's laws, their economic policies, and the technological development, it's all designed with a single goal of overtaking the United States economically and militarily. And so I recently left government service to practice law in the private sector, and it's because I saw this as the the new battleground. 
Uh, I now assist U.S. companies developing advanced technologies and combating cyber threats, and I am, I am engaged directly in this new battlefield. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, well, first of all, thank you for your service. Uh, we definitely appreciate that. And I, I find that so interesting that um, you left military to practice law because you wanted to deal more hands on with this issue um, just to really strike its importance and relevancy. Um, so cybersecurity doesn't always dominate the news cycle as much as it should, but TikTok is definitely making a lot of headlines. Um, I just saw an interview on CNN. It's all over um, Politico or something along those lines. Um, there are many bills right now that are trying to ban TikTok in various capacities. Uh, I think South Dakota just banned it for all federal employees. There's some to just ban TikTok from the United States. There's a bill to ban TikTok um, just among federal employees in the United States. Um, what do you think the U.S. or these members of Congress are particularly trying to go after with these measures? And kind of like I mentioned before, is it because these you know older congressmen are going after kids for their, their scrolling and enjoying themselves on the internet, or is there something bigger to this issue? Well, I like the way you put that. But I think for once, U.S. politicians are actually getting something right when it comes to technology. Typically, the adage goes that law is always 10 steps or 10 years behind the, the adoption of technology. But here, the politicians are really trying to get ahead of something that is a national security threat and is a significant problem. Look, social media platforms in general are incredible tools for both communication and for commerce. They've, they've permeated every aspect of our lives. They, they bring together communities. And they allow individuals and groups to engage with one another in ways that were really unimaginable even just two decades ago. But the platforms are, are really equal parts assistive and intrusive. And, and that'll be, there's another adage that if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And while that's, that's true, it's also somewhat incomplete. In reality, every time we download and use a free mobile application, really any app, uh, we're signing away the rights to our data, which can then be monetized and sold to the third party by, by the platform. And it's any third party, and they don't necessarily need to get your permission to do that. When you have some time, and a great, great practice I tell people to do is go look at the privacy policy for your favorite application. You will be absolutely astonished at the amount of data collected about you, about your devices, your activities, including your physical location, your face print and other biometrics that your phone collects, your contacts. And some some take the the passwords that you copy to your clipboard or really anything that's copied to your clipboard. And others take keystroke patterns to personally identify you based on how you type on your computer or how you move your mouse. I mean, the list is endless and it just depends on the specific platform. And so the point I'm getting to is while the privacy issue is not necessarily unique to TikTok, a lot of platforms do this. What is unique is the relationship between TikTok and the Chinese Communist Party. TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, is a $100 billion corporation, billion with a B, with significant ties to the Chinese government. Because TikTok and ByteDance are Chinese corporations and they employ thousands of Chinese citizens, they're also subject to Chinese laws. Now, unlike the United States and other Western democracies where governments need to get a warrant or a subpoena or another form of official order to access data held by private companies, the Chinese government has passed laws that mandate their companies cooperate with Chinese intelligence and security services. It's it's almost as though the U.S., if this were in the U.S., it would be like the U.S. passing a law saying that all companies in the United States are required to turn over their employee and customer records wherever they reside anywhere in the world to the FBI and the CIA on request. No warrant, no subpoena, no due process. But not just the records, it would be full access to the company networks, the data logs, all accounts, and that all of this data would be then the property of the U.S. government into perpetuity. That's the effect of the laws that are in place right now in China and affecting Chinese companies. These laws deal with government cooperation, they're international in jurisdiction, and contrary to statements made by TikTok executives, they're not negotiable. TikTok and ByteDance cannot say no to the Chinese Communist Party when they demand data be turned over to them or when they demand cooperation. That's how the Chinese law works. And their companies, they must cooperate, period. In other words, the reason our politicians are keenly focused on threats from TikTok is because it's inextricably linked with advancing the interests of the Chinese Communist Party. Not that they're not you know, just old guys who are trying to stop the party. They're really trying to protect U.S. interests and trying to protect our population, particularly because 
TikTok and ByteDance are able to collect data from over 40% of our population, and they're able to provide that data and that content directly to the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, no, that's that's such a, a great way to put it. And then as far as this data collection, I'm like, what threat does TikTok pose in having all of our data? I know, as speaking as a young person, I sometimes like that Instagram has my data because it gives me all the videos I want to see, or it gives me uh, like the clothes that I want to wear. It targets those ads. So why is it a threat that that TikTok would have this data, and what kind of um, current threats would that trigger? Yeah, and, you know, I, I get this question a lot, and it's always, what's the big deal with TikTok? You know, aren't, aren't all social media platforms collecting my data? Isn't it something that I want? You know, when I go on Amazon and I'm trying to buy something and I'm looking at books or I'm looking at uh, products, the things that are being fed to me are things that I want to buy. And now I understand going on Amazon that Amazon's going to feed me options. They're going to feed me things based on my prior purchase history. And, you know, to some degree, I'm okay with that. And I continue using Amazon knowing that, knowing that they're collecting that data. Um, the difference really is, and what really makes TikTok stand apart is, aside from the fact that TikTok collects far more data than any other social media platform, there are a lot of glaring problems. Now, I, I can distill these to three main issues and my, my personal issues that I've seen with TikTok over the years. First, I touched on this previously, Chinese law compels all Chinese companies to fully cooperate with government requests for data anywhere in the world irrespective of where it is physically collected or stored. This places the data of millions of Americans, the, the depth of which I'll, I'll get into a little bit later, um, places it directly at the disposal of the Chinese government. This is extremely distinct from US-based companies, which are not subject to such a law. The second is that the Chinese Communist Party maintains an ownership stake in controlling board representation in, Byte in ByteDance, which is TikTok's parent company. This means that all corporate decisions, including decisions to use the TikTok platform as a mechanism for both massive data collection or as a weapon for disinformation targeting the U.S. population, those decisions flow through the Chinese Communist Party. And then third, TikTok intentionally makes false statements to Apple, to Google, to Microsoft, so that they lower the appropriate age ranging, range or rating, I'm sorry, for its app in their respective stores. This subjects children as young as 12 to mature content, including sex, drug use, violence, and even suicide, suicide tutorials, amongst a whole trove of other types of information. The content TikTok's algorithms use, it, it's intentionally targeting minors, despite the fact that the algorithms of the domestic version of TikTok, which is called Douyin, uh, those are educational and they're patriotic in content and they're age appropriate. TikTok instead targets our population with highly offensive and vulgar content. Okay, yes, uh, that's starting to make a lot of sense for me for how that or how others could really perceive that as a threat. And then you first mentioned ByteDance a while ago. Could you explain that? Because I feel like ByteDance is really where um, the TikTok issue might go wrong. Um, so how does it play into all of this? So ByteDance is a, it's a massive uh, Chinese technology company, and, and I hesitate to use the word startup because it's, it's not really a startup. It's a $100 billion corporation conglomerate, really. Um, and they focus on data and primarily on how you use data for artificial intelligence. And so they take the data that they're able to collect through their various applications and they use it to advance artificial intelligence, uh, the capabilities that they're developing both internally to advance their own applications and for targeted marketing, but also on behalf of the Chinese government. Um, at its core, ByteDance focuses on the development implementation of that artificial intelligence. And how this kind of plays into what the Chinese government is doing is the Chinese government in their most recent five-year plan, which was issued in, in 2021, they named artificial intelligence as one of its top technology goals. And they're actively using AI-based technologies in, in every aspect of the government, from facial recognition software that it uses to track and persecute its weaker population and enforce the COVID restrictions, to the social mapping that it's using to track and punish dissidents worldwide. 
and it's even using it to target individuals with tailored disinformation campaigns, whether they're Chinese citizens or whether they're, they're citizens of any country in the world. And this is how the Chinese government is operating. But they're taking the AI that's being trained from ByteDance data and the data that's collected by ByteDance, and they're weaponizing it and they're turning it into a tool for their own national security purposes. Okay. So if ByteDance is using it for artificial intelligence, how is the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, using the data collected? Is it for like similar purposes or are they maybe being more unique in how they use it? That's really the million dollar question. Um, the reason that you don't see just an outright ban of TikTok right now is because there really isn't a smoking gun. And that's that's the primary problem. Um, the Chinese government is very secretive when it comes to its surveillance and the data collection mechanisms it uses and also the relationships that it has with its corporations. Now, where we're seeing that start to crack is, and I'll get into this a little bit later as well, but where China, the Chinese government is taking significant stakes in a, a lot of its larger companies, and primarily its tech companies. And when I say significant stakes, I don't mean controlling interests where they're, you know, the Chinese government owns 50% of, of the company. But what they're doing instead is they're requiring Chinese companies to place Chinese Communist Party members as their board or on their board with basically control over the executives of the company, as in the executive's pay is tied to what that board member, who's a member of the Chinese Communist Party, says about that executive. And so if the executive is not doing what the CCP wants, then that executive is not going to receive the compensation that they are entitled to or they believe they're entitled to. And so that, that stake is really significant because it gives the CCP a mechanism to remain deeply involved in a lot of these tech corporations, but ByteDance is one of them. And so the CCP is directly involved in ByteDance's businesses and control and use over the data collected, as well as the type of information that's being passed across the platform. So in the short term, this means the Chinese government can access any data that TikTok collects. And this includes, I talked about this a little bit before, but precise location, clipboard content, contacts list, physical location, cookies, keystrokes. Go look at your, your TikTok privacy policy, and I promise you, it'll be eye-opening. But what, what does this mean in practice? Well, in December, uh, it is actually a rare admission. ByteDance confirmed that its engineers in China were able to use uh, TikTok to monitor U.S. journalists' physical location and their contacts in an effort to try to identify information leaks within TikTok who are talking to uh, Forbes. Uh, for users, this means that under Chinese law, the same employees who had access to those journalists' uh, TikTok accounts and data they can be forced to turn that data over or track the location activities of any TikTok user at the behest of the Chinese government. And so in the short term, it's everybody's really subject to that type of surveillance simply by having the application on their phone. In the long run, the bulk data itself becomes much more valuable. Uh, the 14 five-year plan that talked about AI and really prioritized those technologies that set the stage for what the future is going to hold for data being collected in China and on behalf of Chinese companies, on behalf of the, the CCP. For artificial intelligence to be successful, it must be trained on massive data sets of high quality data. The data can't be limited to a single ethnic group or region or else the AI is going to skew its decisions and outputs. And so if you only have ethnic Han Chinese that you're collecting data on, the data itself, the algorithms, the AI is going to be skewed because you're not going to be able to identify Caucasians. You're not going to be able to identify persons of African descent and so on. It makes it such that the AI is not going to be as fulsome or capable as it is. So what the Chinese government needed was a much larger data set. Well, enter TikTok, enter ByteDance. So now the CCP has the ability to continuously feed its training data sets with new content that's coming in from TikTok. Everything from face prints to voice prints to the movements of the dances that you're doing to the physical location that's been, that your device is, is telling TikTok where it is to your contacts to the metadata. Every day, ByteDance expands the training data for Chinese artificial intelligence by uploads from its 1.8 billion active users. So then, then the question becomes, well, why do young people care? If, if China is gaining artificial intelligence and has these capabilities, so what? Well, because the training data, their content provides the TikTok and ByteDance is currently helping the Chinese government, well, it's helping them commit genocide. 
I mean, the artificial intelligence that the Chinese are developing is helping them to identify movements, to identify people, to identify what they view as dissidents. And so as a result, thousands of Uyghur Muslims are, are being identified using this technology and interred in re-education camps, or they're being subject to forced sterilization based on a pre-crime algorithm that seems like it's ripped straight out of the movie Minority Report. For military applications, the data is being used to create bioweapons based on biometric markers, uh, precision munitions that target individuals based on their gait, on the way they walk, and even decision matrices for advanced strategies for, for generals and admirals making war plans. And it hits closer to home too. TikTok data is being used to create technology that's going to ultimately supplant U.S. companies in the international market. Everything from autonomous vehicles to personal assistance to natural language processors. And the data is being used to create deep fakes and other advanced disinformation campaigns, which can undermine our democracy. And to the last point, because of the wide market adoption in the United States, coupled with the massive amounts of data that TikTok collects about its users, the CCP can also transform TikTok from this data vacuum into a cannon that's aimed directly at the American public. In August of 2020, the Chinese government added TikTok's algorithms to a list of technologies that were prohibited from being exported. In other words, the entire engine that powers who can see what content on TikTok is a black box that cannot leave Chinese control. There's a reason for this. And in practice, this means that the Chinese government can compel TikTok to tailor the content specific users see. Ultimately, what that means is the Chinese have the perfect tool for disinformation campaigns if they want to destabilize our society or if they want to undermine our electoral process, like what happened with uh, the Russians in 2016. Wow. Okay. That's, I mean, that's so much to um, both take in, but I think it's also really important to talk about. I think the part that was most convincing for me when I was first learning about the issue is how, you know, this little dance video or something that a, a content creator might make on TikTok, on TikTok is actually being used for artificial intelligence. Um, and that was just a really eye-opening experience because I was like, oh, I could understand maybe why a journalist wouldn't want to be on here um, or, you know, a government official, but why teenagers? And so that's just super interesting to point out. Um, and I guess even militarily, like if a military member had, you know, a TikTok or something, the CCP would have access to all of that. Um, um, the United States kind of has a historical record of uh, maybe jingoism or you know fear that china will outdo us or or fears with china's artificial intelligence and you know somewhat rightfully so obviously china is um has been increasing in their developments in these particular issues um but people against these these bands are calling this a form of techno nationalism um the tiktok bands that is and there are some pretty serious claims that um you know this is just uh, you know, members of Congress being jingoists or or falling into the, these fears that are not necessarily real. So um, how real do you think these concerns are? And um, we kind of briefly touched on this, but are, is there any proof that the CCP is using this data? I know that's a little bit, um, there, there wasn't much proof as you just, just discussed, but what proof is there that we are working off of? I will say, uh, from my experience and from what I've seen, concerns about TikTok, they're not driven by, by jingoism or fear of competition. They're driven by years of experience observing and combating an increasingly aggressive Chinese Communist Party. I, I think it's important here to differentiate between the Chinese people and the Chinese Communist Party. Um, I've been to China multiple times, and I, I love the Chinese people. What I don't love is the Chinese Communist Party and the control that they have over the Chinese people and the, the control that they have and that they exert in an increasingly aggressive way, both in their near abroad, but as well as globally. Uh, it, it's, it's no secret that the CCP runs an authoritarian state. Um, we saw this recently from its draconian COVID lockdowns to its heavy handed response to protests in Hong Kong to its ongoing genocide in Xinjiang. The Chinese Communist Party has shown the world that it exists not to serve the Chinese people by any means, it exists to solidify its authority and to advance its own agenda. Uh, 
As for proof of the ways the CCP is using TikTok for its own purposes, uh, direct. If you if we had direct evidence, you would already see a complete ban. And so I'm not gonna I'm not going to tell you that there is direct evidence. There's certainly indirect evidence, and the indirect evidence is robust. Um, we've seen Chinese government entities flooding global social media with fake accounts used to advance their authoritarian agenda and to confuse the world about issues such as repression of the Uyghurs. That's the biggest one that we can point to. The New York Times obtained documents uh, a few years ago from the Xinjiang Public Security Bureau. They were published in Mandarin, and they detailed how the Chinese government is using social media to penetrate the American information ecosystem. And ahead of these most recent midterm elections, TikTok accounts run by the propaganda arm of the Chinese government, who each had millions of followers and tens of millions of views, pushed targeted political propaganda critical of Republican candidates and Democrats who have spoken out against China. In public statements, including congressional testimony, TikTok officials have falsely denied that TikTok user data is both accessible in China and subject to Chinese laws. However, ample evidence has shown that China-based TikTok and ByteDance employees maintain access to Americans' user data. As recently as last month, ByteDance admitted that its China-based employees maintain access to user data, China-based employees who are individually subject to Chinese law. The Chinese laws are absolute, and I really want this to be clear. The government in China is not shy about punishing those who fail to comply with their laws, writ large, whether the law has to do with data collection or the law has to do with uh, speaking out against the government. And given the CCP's secretive and often unscrupulous approach to economic and traditional espionage, its access to TikTok alone is cause for significant concern. Right. That makes uh, perfect sense. And then kind of going back to what we were pointing out, I'm, you know, I th obviously there's um, a bill right now to propose a federal ban. I think a lot of people could be fairly understanding of why, you know, federal employees should not have this on their phone or journalists or something along those lines. Um, but as far as, you know, the teenagers and the young people who really are on this app, um, it kind of reminds me of like a veganism argument where like maybe you know you should do it but you won't um so is there any like a driving force for why young people really should not be on this app if national security concerns don't necessarily um you know concern them too much sure and and I fully recognize that the national security discussion and argument is going to fall on deaf, deaf ears with a lot of people who, especially those who are not either familiar with the national security argument or are not, not in, on the national security scene. But there are other aspects of, of TikTok that a lot of people really need to be aware of. And it's not just teens. Uh, teens are certainly, there's it, that is one section of the population that I think should be paying attention um, from a national security perspective, but also from their own perspective. Now, when we say teens, we're talking about everything from, you know, really with TikTok, you're talking preteens all the way through 19-year-olds. And so if for teens, and, and in some cases, parents of teens, I think they really need to pay attention because TikTok has represented itself as, look, we are, we're just another social media platform. But in reality, they They've said that, you know, alcohol, tobacco, drug references, sexual content, nudity, mature, suggestive themes, themes around uh, surrounding suicide, themes, themes surrounding, you know, uh, profanity, crude humor, things that aren't really appropriate, especially for young teens. TikTok has represented that, nope, we don't do that. We don't have that on our platform. We are not targeting you. But anybody who's on TikTok knows much better. You know that as soon as you go on, you start clicking on things, the algorithm is going to feed you whatever it is that you're clicking on. And so if you're a 12-year-old who, oh, by the way, the teen rating or the 12-plus rating in the, the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, the Microsoft Store, those ratings say, hey, this app is okay for preteens and for teenagers, when in reality, the content being pushed across is not. So it gives people a, a really false sense of security just from the perspective of the content that either they as young teens or if it's parents who are allowing them to have it, that the parents are, are looking at it saying, okay, this is okay. Well, the content's not. And actually there is a, a lawsuit right now in Washington suing TikTok um, amongst other social media platforms um, for uh, the causing uh, mental health issues amongst teen girls. 
And it's because a lot of the content that's being pushed, and including suicide tutorials, a lot of the content being pushed is harmful to teens. It's harmful to young people in that stage of their life. So all national security issues aside, that is one significant problem that needs to be addressed. For those users who are over 18 or who are just, you know, more mature and, and understand what it is that they're looking at and understand what it is that they're, what, what content it is, I would give them two primary reasons for thinking twice about having a TikTok account. The first is a little bit larger in, 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 in scope and I hope speaks to the listener's humanitarian side. I described earlier the way in which TikTok feeds China's AI development. Well, every bit of data that TikTok collects strengthens China's AI. We've witnessed the unethical ways the Chinese government is already putting its AI to use. It's imprisoning and killing large swaths of it, its ethnic population. It's, it's being called genocide by the international community. And then they export their authoritarian technologies to countries like Iran and, and Venezuela and they violently repress protests over COVID lockdowns. Well, every time a user uploads a video to TikTok or merely provides location data by having the app on their device, they're helping the CCP to train its AI and to more efficiently commit these atrocities. Many people held IBM in a lot of disdain because they would provide data processing machines to Nazi Germany during the Holocaust. And these data processing machines help the Nazis to categorize its ethnic population through census and help them to manage more efficiently manage the concentration camp capacities. Well, we look at that and we say, IBM, how could you do such a thing? Well, today, TikTok and ByteDance are doing the exact same thing. And they're doing it with data that US users are providing. So that's, that's kind of the humanitarian pitch in the big picture. The second reason is a little bit more personal. While individual user data may not, individual users may not care where their data goes or whether it's in the hands of Meta or Twitter or TikTok, in reality, the difference does matter. Each platform's algorithms determine what information a user sees. And so this, and we know this, and it's well documented, this creates echo chambers that are in effect, users are only seeing the content that aligns with their interests. They're not being challenged. And by itself, that, that creates a problem, but that's that's a big social media problem. TikTok is a little bit different because TikTok's affiliation with the CCP, it's incredibly pernicious because it allow it, it's it, the, the user is then seeing content that is subject to the CCP's control as opposed to just the algorithms of a social media provider. This means that an individual's worldview is constantly being shaped and molded by a government that is adversarial to the US and one that actively uses disinformation to destabilize populations. So for those two very big reasons, I would uh, I would highly recommend users of TikTok second take a take a second to consider what it is that they're doing and what it is that the platform is actually allowing the Chinese government to do. Yeah, um I really appreciate um all those notes and Honestly, those were really big reasons of why I eventually left as well. And um, I actually, most recently, I was explaining this to like a group of sorority girls on, on a Halloween event. We were all at a Halloween party. And I think what's important with TikTok um, is that, you know, since it's run by the CCP, it's in their best interest to maybe highlight material that's not so uh, patriotic or something along those lines. And uh, I remember I did a report for work and only 13% of young people um, agreed the word patriotism or viewed the word patriotism in a positive light. And obviously that's due to internal problems, no doubt, like the US has had its problems and it should maybe recover from them better. But um, I, I thought immediately of TikTok and just kind of the content, you know, you can highlight problems, but when it's to the point of no return and, you know, America's unsolvable or something along those lines and people, you know, deleting their national identity, that's definitely in the CCP's interest to promote such material. And so um, I thought that that was like a really interesting point um, for for TikTok and, and why it's just a little bit different from maybe like Twitter or Instagram. Um, and then lastly, I would, or just continuing, I would say that TikTok's response to all this buzz about them has been, let's solve these problems. Um, their like head of public policy just went on CNN to, to discuss these issues. And they're saying, you know, we're putting out new security measures and we're working on this and we're potentially working with the Biden administration to make this app more safe. 
So if TikTok is saying this, like they want to solve these problems, uh, do you believe them? And like, furthermore, do you see these problems as solvable at all? Yeah, and, and it's really unfortunate it's not up to TikTok. It would be great if we, if their executives and everything they said, we were able to take it at face value. But the fact is, even if they have the best of intentions and their their executives are a hundred percent convinced of their own beliefs or of, of of the narrative that they're pushing, they're still under the control of ByteDance and the mandates of Chinese law. Again, this was evidenced most clearly last month when despite repeated claims by TikTok that US user data was not shared with China, ByteDance engineers in China were tracking the location and contacts of US-based journalists through their TikTok apps. And additionally, because China has subjected TikTok's technology to export restrictions, TikTok, TikTok is not at liberty to divest itself from Chinese control. And so despite the gallant overtures we're hearing from TikTok executives, TikTok and its user data will remain under the control of the Chinese government. Right. And so um, obviously, I think that this um, this issue has a, a pretty good case for national security reasons. Um, but to the extent, if you were just addressing it from a national security perspective, how serious um, is this issue? And would you say a full U.S. ban is needed or maybe just among federal employees? Where would you kind of draw the line if, if you had you know, full control of what the next steps should be for the U.S.? Yeah, king, king for a day. I love this question. <laughs> um, honestly, 40% of Americans are on TikTok. This, this issue is as serious as it gets because it deals with personal data. It deals with location. It deals with interest, but it also subjects those individuals directly to Chinese misinformation campaigns. So it's not just about the data. It's about the misinformation. And it's also about the targeting of U.S. youth. And so th those three things are, are significant issues that, that need to be addressed. And quite frankly, TikTok is just not a addressing them, and the Chinese government isn't doing them any favors, isn't allowing them to. Presently, there are 27 U.S. states. You've got the federal government, the U.S. House of Representatives, all banning TikTok from government devices. This is something for, for your listeners, I think, is, is they need to be keenly aware of it. For states that have banned TikTok on government devices, that also includes devices owned and operated by universities. And so if you're at a public university in a state that's banned TikTok, a public university is under the executive branch of government. That means that university Wi-Fi, university routers, university-owned computers, you can't have TikTok on any of those devices either. Most recently, Auburn University, there's been, there was a, a, an article about how students were reacting to the ban in, in Alabama um, at Auburn University. And they, they felt very strongly that this was an abridgment of their, their constitutional rights. But in reality, it is a state issue because those devices are owned by the state and they're operated by the state. Now, that really only addresses a small portion of the threat. It doesn't address some of the most significant issues, namely the TikTok being a tool for disinformation and targeting minors with adult content. Um, I think a federal ban is a real possibility. And I think there could be other legal tools that could be used to mitigate the threat. These include state legal action under individual states' nuisance laws or the Consumer, the consumer Protection Acts. Um, I think reform of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act would also be a way to go about it, which would be a much larger social media, uh, which would affect much larger social media platforms uh, than just TikTok. Um, and I also think we could go about looking at updating the Espionage Act to include uh, different types of technology that's used to collect information about U.S. persons, because currently the Espionage Act is limited in scope to classified material. And I think there's a lot, there's a much bigger issue that uh, we could be, we could focus on. Um, the real question is going to be, how open will the Chinese government be to allowing a full digest, full divestiture of the TikTok platform? How open are they going to be to turning over those algorithms to a wholly owned U.S. subsidiary that's not under the control of the Chinese government? Um, I don't think that's likely. And because I don't think that think that's likely, I, I think we're on our way to a ban. Uh, what do you mean full U.S. ban? A full or, U.S. ban. Or, sure. Um, and would the, the ban that's in the States, would that also apply to like public high schools or something along those lines, probably because it's government property? Well, absolutely. And so the, with TikTok, it's kind of unique because it's a mobile application. 
And so if you have a phone, if you're a high school student, if you're a college student, you have a mobile device and it's connecting through, uh, it's not connecting through Wi-Fi, but it's connecting through um, the cell phone architecture, then you're fine. You can have TikTok and that wouldn't be subject to a ban. But if your mobile device is connecting through the Wi-Fi in your public high school in a state that TikTok has been banned on government devices, well, that Wi-Fi is owned by the state. And so technically they could block TikTok from going through their Wi-Fi, or they could identify whose phone it is by the IP address and subject you to other, that, I mean, states can put out all sorts of policies and laws where you actually have a punishment that, that would fall in line if you're using government Wi-Fi or government devices to access TikTok. And so there, there are other things that we are gonna see come along with this in an effort to mitigate the, to mitigate the threat. But at the same time, we're seeing significant action at the federal level um, from both sides of the aisle. I mean, you've got Senator Rubio, who's a Republican from Florida, who put forth legislation for a full ban. And you've got Senator Warner, who's a Democrat from Virginia, who is agreeing with Senator Rubio that we need to have a ban, but is disagreeing with him in the mechanism and the way in which we should do it. Senator Warner wants a much larger ban on types of social media and activities that would affect TikTok without naming it specifically in the way Senator Rubio has. Sure. Yeah, I've seen a, a lot of just bipartisan both cooperation and, and innovation for the issue on how they want to solve it. Um, and that's thinking of just all the implications that would come with the ban. Um, just fully talking in, in the fullest scope, you know, banning TikTok would mean banning over 90 million Americans from using the app. And for a lot of people, that's their favorite social media. Um, a recent report came out that Gen Z uses TikTok as a search algorithm more than Google. Um, and so there's a lot of opposition that are saying, you know, banning the app would be um, a, a deprivation of freedom of expression. Uh, it would be a form of censorship. Um, and even to the point that it would violate the user's equity and their creations and followers and, and profits that they get from the app. So as a lawyer, I'm sure you can be sympathetic with just all of these arguments that people are suggesting. So how would you um, address these concerns that the people have? Well, first, I, I want you to think about what we're talking about here. Um, millions of Americans are getting their information and their news from a technology platform that's controlled by the Chinese government. The popularity of a platform doesn't make it any less of a national security threat. Simply because people like to use it and like the tool doesn't change the fact that they are getting their news feed from an adversary nation. That's a problem. And the fact that we're talking about what are the constitutional concerns, certainly there are some. Um, but I think people need to take a step back and realize and recognize what it is that they're actually arguing about and arguing for from both a national security perspective, but also their own perspective. Ask the question, who is influencing you? What agenda is that platform pushing? And, and when you start to ask those types of questions, you, you come up with a little bit of a different answer, and it allows you to look at things from a, from a bit of a different perspective. Now, from a legal and constitutional perspective, I absolutely agree that there are valid concerns about an outright ban of TikTok. As Americans, we enjoy a freedom of expression, a freedom of the press, a right to receive information from abroad. That's also a First Amendment right many people don't know about. The government can't impinge upon those rights without a compelling government in interest. But it just so happens that national security is a compelling government interest. However, the U.S. government would still need to show that a ban is narrowly tailored to achieve that interest and is not unduly burdensome on constitutional rights. The courts, in this case, they typically apply a balancing test weighing the government's interests against an individual's rights when it comes down to impinging upon a freedom, an enumerated freedom within the Constitution. Unfortunately for users who love TikTok, the corporate executives in Chinese government really are not doing them any favors. The mounting evidence of TikTok executives lying to Congress, data remaining accessible in China, Chinese-backed disinformation campaigns, the continued privacy violations, all of these things combined make it extremely challenging for a U.S. administration or a legislative body to find a happy medium with TikTok. Moreover, the Chinese government's refusal to permit ByteDance to divest TikTok is also problematic in that it creates little room for compromise. Where alternative means of communication exist, such as you know Instagram Reels or YouTube, a TikTok ban has a good probability of withstanding First Amendment scrutiny. 
And in the context of national security, courts have generally given deference to the government's assessment of the threat and have upheld government actions that were reasonably designed to address that threat. As a result, despite the First Amendment concerns that many TikTok advocates are raising, without a lesser alternative to an outright ban that would mitigate the compelling U.S. government interest for ensuring national security, I think we may be headed for a federal ban. Wow. Okay. Um, that's, yeah, that's a lot to consider. Um, and then as far as um, the the equity concerns at like TikTok users being like robbed millions of dollars, um, do you think that, that that would be mitigated in the courts and that we'd see more cases like that? Or um, is that not really a realm of cybersecurity? Well, I think that's more fraud. It's okay. it's a different type of cyber issue. So fraud that that takes place through TikTok. Um, you know, I, I like to say it's if you know if if fraud takes place on TikTok versus the phone, it, it's still fraud. It's just mm-hmm. by a different means. I think those things are uh, those things can be addressed and certainly would be addressed by the courts. The question is whether or not TikTok would cooperate and whether that cooperation would lend itself to a uh, better reception by a legislative body that would be looking to ban TikTok otherwise. And so if we have partnership with TikTok for certain things, say human trafficking or um, child exploitation or fraud, are those types of the types of things that the federal government may look at and say, well, despite the national security concerns, we have a great partnership with TikTok and ByteDance in these areas that are allowing us to protect our population, our their users um, from these other greater harms. And those mitigations or those mitigating factors certainly could come into play. Sure. That's a that's a really interesting perspective. Um and then let's say you convinced me throughout this episode and you want to delete TikTok. How would you go about doing so? Do you just delete the app off your phone or are there, I'm guessing there are a lot of steps that you should take um, to, to delete the app? Always. Uh, anytime you have a social media app there, it, it it's actually difficult to delete and they make it difficult. Um, mm-hmm. If you, you know, if you tried to de- try to delete uh, Amazon or your Amazon account, you have to go through about seven different layers just to get to the final delete account. And that's intentional because they don't want you to leave the the application. Uh, but for TikTok, if you want to delete TikTok, you, you go in, you open the app, you tap your profile on the bottom right, and then there's a three-line icon in the top right that'll pop up. Um, tap settings and privacy, go to manage account and delete account. And there will be instructions in the app that will pop up to tell you how to delete your account. Um, typically, even after you do this, it's going to take 30 days for any of your data or your videos to be removed once you delete your account. And so they're still going to live on the app for another 30 days. Now, that takes care of your account. Um, once you do that, you still need to delete it from your device because even without an account, TikTok can still collect all the information, all the metadata that's coming off of your device just by you having the app downloaded. So if you want to delete the app, it's going to vary whether you have an, an, an iPhone or an Android device. Um, if it's an iPhone, you just hold your thumb on the TikTok app. When it starts to shake back and forth, you hit that X and it goes away. For Android, you're going to have to go into the Google Play Store, tap the profile icon, tap manage apps and devices, and then manage. Um, and then you tap the name of the, the TikTok app that you want to delete and tap uninstall. And so that'll remove it from your device. And then you're not sharing data with TikTok anymore. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's, I'm just thinking about all, like the people who've logged in on TikTok on my phone or something along those lines. Um, but um, are there any other social media platforms that maybe young people should be weary of? I know we're talking a lot about TikTok right now, but what do you see as, uh, you know, being in cybersecurity, uh, any other issues with other platforms? Yeah, I would say, and we're talking about TikTok because of the national security issues and primarily because of the relationship they have with the Chinese government. But the fact is every social media platform has its risks. Every platform monetizes user data and is thus incentivized to collect as much data as possible. Users need to become familiar with the privacy settings for each platform and really limit the data that they're sharing with the platform to only that that which is necessary. Hey, like TikTok may need to know your location because they want to you want videos that are relevant to where you live or your geographic region. That's that may be a legitimate reason. 
does it need to be collecting your data all day, every day, and know your precise location, even when the app is not open? No, absolutely not. And so there are privacy settings that you can implement. Just become familiar with them and look at what data you're actually sharing with the app. Uh, also, users need to be leery of the content that they share and the connections that they have. As a cybersecurity attorney, I can tell you horror stories of how people have either been duped or extorted to open up their networks to compromise that has resulted in millions of dollars in damage. And it's all done through social media. It's all done through social engineering that takes place on social media. So just be aware of who your connections are. Be aware of what you're sharing, because all of it can be used ultimately to harm you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I need to check all my settings now. Um, I'm so scared. Um, okay, so final question. Because the show is called Let's Listen, um, who is someone that you think um, others should be listening to right now? Yeah, um, so first and foremost, I, I think from uh, the folks who are interested in politics and are interested in, in current events, uh, Representative Mike Gallagher was just tagged as the, the chairman of the, the Committee on Addressing Chinese Threats um, for the House of Representatives. Uh, very, very smart guy. Um, and he is somebody who knows this issue inside and out. When he talks about China and when he talks about threats from China, that's somebody you should really listen to. And I don't normally say that about politicians, but he is one that that I very highly respect. Um, from others, if you have folks who are, are interested in cybersecurity, uh, I, I love leaving people with podcasts. So my top three are The Cyberwire, which is hosted by Dave Bittner, um, and they do a great overview of all things cybersecurity and touch on um, current events. Um, the other one is First Watch, which is hosted by a friend of mine named George Kamid. Um, and he deals a lot with the social engineering aspect and the threats to social media. And then the final one is Darknet Diaries, hosted by Jack Reisider. Uh, Darknet Diaries does a really great job of digging into cyber operations, cyber warfare, and cyber crime. And he does it in a way that's really engaging. It's like storytelling. And then as a shameless plug, which I've got to do, I have a book coming out later this year called Battlefield Cyber. It's available for pre-order on Amazon. So would be happy if any of your listeners would uh would buy my book and and let me know what they think yay that's so exciting i actually didn't know um that you were writing a book until until you were recording this episode so congratulations on that i'm super happy for you Thank when you. does your your book tour start uh so the book is in is scheduled to be published this summer um and okay. so it will be a very busy summer for me especially with with defcon and rsa and all the yeah. different cyber events I'm pretty sure the the national cyber strategy is coming out soon too. So Indeed something to look is. forward to. <laughs> all, all of these fun things that only a cybersecurity attorney is really excited about. Yeah, oh, I'm, this is I'm gonna really be fun. About. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm thinking about doing an episode for that, but I don't know if many will listen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you, thank you so much for being on the show today and and just really giving us a great overview. Um, you are constantly, I, I send your posts to so many friends I know for on the issue. So I'm really excited just to have this resource to send to them um, when talking about this really prevalent topic. So thank you so much for being on. Um, I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was really great. Thank you.